Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vinepair's Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. In Washington, D.C., the gin ricky is not so much a preferred drink, but part of the city's cultural fabric. It is here, history and booze historians tell us, that gin cemented its status as the signature spirit of lime-scented highballs, before winning the hearts and palates of the social and political elite. These are lofty heights for a seemingly simple mix of gin, bubbles and citrus to reach. And here to tell us how it did so, and why the gin ricky deserves such a claim, is Andra A.J. Johnson. A longtime DC resident and hospitality veteran, AJ is the managing partner of Serenata in the city's Union Market District and founder of the Back to Black pop-up. Get ready then for shoemakers, yarn spinners, lime juicers and gin guzzlers. It's a brand new edition of the Cocktail College podcast. We're in the virtual Cocktail College studio today, joined by none other than Andra AJ Johnson. Andra AJ, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. You know, dialing in all the way there from D.C., not too far away from us here in New York, but uh, dialing in today. And, you know, it's apt because of the topic at hand. It's the Ricky. I think we're going to probably look more at the gin Ricky than anything else. Uh, But just off the bat, how do you feel about this drink? What are your ties to this cocktail? Gotcha. Um, So... 100% 100% I think you are correct in that we we can definitely lean into the gin side of it. I think it would be remiss if we didn't speak on the bourbon aspect of it, um, however. Uh, but just a little bit of history um, with about the Ricky, uh, just to kick it off. I mean, D.C., we're not a state. We should be. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the Ricky is um, our official cocktail here. It was created here. Um, it has that very kind of like... <laughs> sort of surreal, very like governmental ties in terms of its creation. Um, I think it's a, it's one of those classic cocktails where like people think about DC. This is like the most apropos origin story of a cocktail ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, late 1800s, um, a lobbyist, Joe Rickey, um, headed into a bar. His favorite drink was bourbon and soda. Um, and apparently as legend has it, he got bored and, you know, asked his bartender to zhuzh it up for him. Um, and the first Ricky was like really born. Um, it's a super, super, um, easy cocktail. Um, and again, I think, you know, making sure that it's super important that we all know that it did start off as a bourbon Ricky before it was a gin Ricky. And, you know, we just had repeal day and things like that. And I think there are there's definitely a reason why it's more well-known as a gin variation. Um, but, you know, it's definitely worth noting that uh, bourbon was the first spirit used in that cocktail. Yeah, 100%. And I think I think another maybe historic preparation might have also been with rye, I think, depending on where you were in the country and depending on what was easier available. But yeah, of course, you had that sort of American whiskey and lemon. And then, you know, we mix things up. That George Williamson, that bartender there, he's mixing things up. He's going gin and lime. Um, Mm -hmm. To my mind, that just makes it more of a refreshing highball. I mean, all highballs are refreshing, but, uh, and certainly having been to DC and spent some time there in those sweltering summers, I think that is something I would like to reach for during those occasions. 
Oh, most definitely. I mean, especially in D.C. and what I've noticed just in terms of what I do and just being in um, the bar industry for so long. I mean, we are definitely a gin town. So come, you know, March, April, May, I think everywhere else in the country, like gin cocktails are like making their um, making their debuts on the new spring cocktail menus, whereas you'll see gin cocktails in D.C. year round, no matter what. Um, we love a good, refreshing cocktail um, at any point in, t- in time in the year, <laughs> for sure, for sure. That's fascinating about the gin because I think, you know, definitely it, it finds a home in all of the classics around the country. But, you know, being a Brit, I, I, I feel like gin remains still somewhat, I'm not going to say underappreciated here, but maybe lesser... Uh, enjoyed than something than more of those like agave spirits that we've seen more recently or or vodka. So it's interesting there. You say that DC is a, a is a real gin town. Why do you think that might be? Um, a couple of reasons. So if we take it back to prohibition, right, with the Eighteenth Amendment, um, and with you know today actually being Repeal Day, uh, which is December fifth, um, it was. One of those things that during Prohibition, if you were going to make a bootleg spirit, the easiest one to do was gin, mm-hmm. right? Because you didn't have to do any a- aging. You know, you have your terms, your bathtub gins, things like that. Um, and so that time period and then coming out of that also sort of led to, um, obviously, you have cheaper spirits. Um, it doesn't cost as much, um, but it led to a lot of different um of our like sort of like classic cocktails like the Greyhounds and the Cranberry um, and gins and vodkas and like being able to sort of mask mask the sort of, uh, let's say, rougher exterior that gin may have sometimes because it doesn't see um, any oak aging in that way. Um, and so for a lot of people, being able to sort of mask that with that gin and juice kind of feels what I like to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think a lot of us have had a very good relationship early on drinking when it came to gin. I mean, I I definitely didn't start my gin path by like loving gin martinis. That wasn't it for me. Um, It was definitely like my first foray into gin um, as a young drinker, but an eager to learn drinker um, was definitely the gin and tonic. Hmm. And it was definitely a gin and a and another juice or several juices um, or lemonades and things like that, like the Arnold Palmers and the Tom Collins and that kind of thing. Um, you really do just get a a whopping hit of alcohol when you're drinking gin. Like you, you are you are 100% tasting that spirit and you're tasting all the botanicals that go with it. Um, and those things, especially when you start adding things like tonic water, which has quinine, aren't always the most palatable flavors for a lot of people. Um, I feel like gin and tonics, I, I like to call them the cilantro of the uh, of the bar world because either you love tonic water or you absolutely hate <laughs> tonic water. Yeah, um, 100%. <laughs> having a cocktail like a Ricky, you can, you can see how you can have your dilution and a nice like you know, crisp, refreshing um, hit from the soda water or the the carbonation that you want to use, um, and you have a little bit of that that citrus and that acid to sort of cut through all of the all of that ethanol and things like that um, with the lime juice. So it's, you know, it's it, is it a perfect cocktail? No, but is it a simple cocktail that still allows us to like highlight the flavors of gin? One hundred percent. Yeah, I, th- I think you make a great point about that that progression as a drinker and trying to first of all or trying to acquaint yourself with gin right because i'm actually one of those people who 
Thank the Lord. Uh, I do love cilantro, but tonic water <laughs> is one that I really struggle with. I, I I don't know whether it's the bitterness of the quinine that's just too much. I'm not sure, but for me, I love a gin ricky in the summer, and I'm a big martini drinker later on. And if I hadn't had those early kind of experiences with the ricky, I might have just discounted the spirit forever, which, you know, that would be a shame because who wants to be robbed of, of enjoying a martini further down the line? Um I think something interesting that I read about this too with Colonel Joe there, I think it was the carbonation that that first started his fascination too. I can't remember where I read this, but I leave I believe one of his friends or acquaintances put him onto carbonation in drinks. Um mm-hmm. you touched upon that there just in terms of like the refreshing nature of that. Are you a big highball drinker yourself or do you like to experiment a lot with um highball cocktails on your menus? I always have some sort of highball variation on my menu. Um, I love playing with carbonation. Uh, and when I go out, if I'm going to tell myself, like, you know, you internally tell yourself, I'm not going to drink that much tonight. I'm my, I'm not going to drink that much tonight is a gin and tonic. Mm-hmm. 100%. Um, that is my <laughs> drink of choice. Um, but the reason why, um, I think, you know, everybody sort of has this fascination with the carbonation and why um, why Joe Ricky might have had a, a fascination with it as well is because any sort of carbonation um, has the same effect as if you were going to have champagne, if you were going to do a club soda, a tonic, any of those things. Um, what happens is, is that the bubbles in the carbonation play with your pyloric valve. Um, your pyloric valve is what regulates the amount of alcohol content that goes into your bloodstream at any given time. And so that those bubbles and that carbonation play with the valve. So instead of being on its own timing in terms of your digestion, um, it'll actually flutter and it allows for more alcohol to hit your bloodstream uh, faster than it would be just having a normal, you know, sip of gin or sip of whiskey um, or a spirit and juice. Um, and so being able to sort of play and have fun with that realm, obviously you want to be careful, sure. um, but that is definitely something that I tell my bartenders all the time. I'm like, look, if they're going to start with bubbles or like Aperol spritzes and then go into something a little bit harder, just keep an extra eye on that person <laughs> Oh wow! <laughs> because you never know where their, their night might end up. I, I, wow. That's so interesting. Um, definitely explains why I've, I've always had this opinion that for some reason, champagne and sparkling wine just hits a little different. I always felt it was like the physical sensation of the bubbles, but I didn't realize there was, you know, actual science behind it there. That's fascinating. 100%, 100%. And so that's why like when you're doing like your, when generally when you see cocktails that have um, sparkling wine either topped, it's either a little bit of a top or you're doing something like a Kir Royale or a mimosa where you're taking a low proof spirit um, and then putting that with with bubbles. Um, obviously, we've gotten more creative. We've understood how to how to mix and blend and figure out flavors that really work. Um, and so, like I, you know, a couple of days ago, um, I did a cocktail with gin and raspberry um, and things like that. But then put it with sparkling wine. And so it just really like as a starting cocktail, you're like you're. You're in the loop now. Mm-hmm. Now you're feeling good. Um, but, you know, it was a definitely like if you watch old movies, it's like a running joke about how women and, and even the men would be like, oh, I'm so, I feel so lightheaded. I always feel like I'm losing myself when I drink champagne. And that's because everything's hitting your bloodstream faster. <laughs> and, you know, you mentioned there, well, you know, 
A, we are recording on repeal day as this happens, <laughs> uh, which is, you know, very fortunate for us, a nice coincidence. Um, but also that cocktail that you mentioned there, you know, that combination of, you know, raspberries, gin, sparkling wine there sounds like it might be a summery thing. But I also feel like just highballs in general, mm-hmm. if you're drinking them to to start the night to kick it off it really doesn't matter what the season is it's, it's always appropriate if if there's bubbles involved it, i think the ingredients don't matter it's a great way to kick off a night i think you are absolutely correct absolutely correct um there's something about that first sip like you don't need food with them mm-hmm. um they're just it's it's just it's it is a very nice segue into whatever else um, that you may be drinking. It's a, again, it can act as a palate cleanser as well. Um, the Ricky, one of the reasons why I enjoy it so much is because that tartness. It really does that 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 acid opens up your your palate um, and allows you to be ready to either imbibe more or eat more, um, but also keeps it super fresh so that you're not destroying your palate for something else. It's not like starting your night off like, all right, we're going straight into old fashions because you kind of have to stay in that lane all night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're really, you're really making a decision if you're doing that from the get go. So again, just looking a little far back here, um, Colonel Joe Ricky, I think that the name of the bar there is Shoemakers. I think I did Makers, yeah. read as well that he became, he was a partner in the bar. And then I think he maybe might have later bought the bar himself. Anyway, regardless, this drink spreads among the kind of political elite of DC, finds its way into popular culture. I think um, one of the other things I wanted to note here, F. Scott Fitzgerald, apparently this is his, or this was his favorite drink. I'm always a little bit wary when people make those proclamations, especially about people like Fitzgerald or Hemingway who drank everything, right? So (laughs) I don't know, to make that tie. Uh, Yeah, that's a, I, I mean, we weren't there. Exactly. <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> there's <laughs> there's only so much fact checking you can do on that. Um, but it's a you know all those things are are all very very well fitting um, tidbits um, mm-hmm. to sort of attribute to the cocktail for sure. I mean, again, like it is a very classic representation of like Politico DC and like the steakhouse and the hoodie toady and like walking off the hill and finding your favorite bar and chatting up about, you know, what happened uh, on the hill today. I mean, those, that type of interaction, those types of interactions still go on today. Really? Oh yeah. Wow. wow, That's fascinating. I don't know. It feels like a kind of, um, what is it? House of cards scenario there and just all the, I don't know. Um, Most definitely. and, And so, you know, Fitzgerald, funnily enough, it's the only cocktail that gets called out by name in The Great Gatsby, which I think is interesting because we have those associations. Obviously, there's a the champagne, but like I think a lot of people really tie that to the kind of early cocktail renaissance. Um, but the reason I mention that is because Fitzgerald apparently said as well that gin was his favorite spirit because it was uh, harder to detect on someone's breath than <laughs> whiskey. Um, yes. I think that's true. I guess that's true. But I wanted to chat about gin for a second. Um, You said DC has great ties to gin, loves gin. What about the gin scene from a producer's point of view? Do you have uh, local producers there? What kind of styles are they making? And are they apt for this version, for this cocktail? 100%. So uh, I want to say it is 2023. I'm going to say 10 years ago, 
um, maybe a little bit longer. Um, in Ivy City, um, which is now sort of what we've dubbed as Distillers Row, um, where a bunch of dist- new distillers have popped up um, in the past few years um, and called it home, uh, the inaugural um, distillery over there was Green Hat Distillery. Um, and so Green Hat Distillery um, was named after a a man, and the myth, the man, the legend. Um, there was a gentleman who would walk the hill with a green bowler hat and a um, briefcase, and he would be distributing the gin during prohibition to all of the, you know, the congressmen and the senators <laughs> and the, all the things, right? Oh wow! <laughs> um, and that was just that's that's what he did every single day, and they paid a they paid a good old price for that. Um, <laughs> I think it's very I think it's very interesting to note that obviously DC. You know, no taxation without representation, but there are also, you know, we still have to follow federal laws mm-hmm. um, in that. And so, you know, the lawmakers were putting these things into effect, but obviously not not conducting or holding themselves to the same standard um, <laughs> because they also obviously still wanted to imbibe um, those who weren't um, religiously driven. Um, and so green hat distillery was sort of that first like big boom of like all right let's dive let's dive into why dc is such a gin town um and again because it is a lot easier to make i mean at the at its core sense it is a vodka that's infused with herbs and botanicals and juniper and things like that um so you can get it out quick um it's something that i don't know if the not being able to detect it detect it on your breath is a thing but because it is more floral in a sense, than bourbon. Um, I think that might have been uh, one of the the reasons why F. Scott Gerald uh, might have said that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, like we, there's a lot of little, like, you know, backdoor, behind-the-scenes kind of things um, that were happening during that time um, that make just D.C. such a fun city to sort of, like, uncover uh, the history on. Um, we've got bars around the city that, you know, have been here since Prohibition, have been turned into different bars and clubs and things like that. So there's a bar here in D.C. um, called the Mayflower Club that was actually owned by a gentleman named Zebediah Goldsmith. Um, And he was running a gambling operation, um, and it was where all the politicians went. The Mayflower Hotel was right down the street. They stayed at the Mayflower. They drank at Zebediah's, um, and he ended up getting arrested for bootlegging and gambling and selling alcohol and all that kind of stuff like that. But the building is still there in all of its glory. And it's been bars and things like that um, since then. Uh, so it's very it's very interesting to sort of see those like pockets of uh, D.C. sort of bringing itself to light. Um, in terms of other distillers in D.C., we've got a bunch that are really doing some fun things. Again, um, Distillers Row is like super fun in Ivy City. We've got 1-8 Distilling. Um, they've got a whole line of things. Uh, they started out doing whiskey, um, and they've gone through a full to a full line of vodkas, rye, gins um, that are super fun. We've got uh, Don Ciccio and Feely. They do more of a... Um, more of an Italian-inspired liqueurs line, uh, Capital Line, Vermouth is down there. Um, so it just it's a really fun little area, and you're starting to see people really sort of uncover the history of the spirits, but in a very DC way, and being able to tell our stories in the city through their either distillation process or their naming process, where they're mm-hmm. getting their herbs from, things like that. Yeah, I think that's a, a really great point because 
you know, we've seen um, a craft distilling um, explosion across the country, which is great to see. And it's great to, you know, just appreciate the imagination and creative efforts of all these wonderful producers. Um, Oftentimes, you will encounter some who have named their brand after, you know, a figure in history or something, or they've tried to come up with some origin story that maybe they actually don't have too many ties to themselves or don't have ties to where they are. But uh, I think that's a great point you make. Like DC does have these authentic stories, this rich history, and honoring that with drinks brands is great. Um, More traditionally, though, I think we see this made oftentimes with London dry style. I think there's a recipe from the 1900s, early 1900s, that actually calls out Plymouth. Uh, And there's not too much distinction between the two, right? Would that be your approach when you're making this cocktail? Are you reaching for something that's classically juniper-driven in profile and includes those those, uh, sort of standard bearer botanicals that we see in London dry? 100%. Not that it's the only thing to use, but it is definitely, in my opinion, the best. Um, Heavy botanical um, works best on this. Again, because you are using the club soda, um, you know, your wormwood, your quinine, all those flavors are sort of out the door. Um, So using something that has a very, very dry palate, um, but has that really nice sort of like either that lemon hit, nice bright juniper, um, you know, maybe a, a classic like little bit of like orange in there and that lemon um, herbaceousness on the London dries is absolutely perfect for the Ricky. Fantastic. And then let's just go through the other ingredients here now too. So I think originally, well, it was just cold out like half a lime. Um, are there any thoughts you have when it comes to that ingredient there or just uh, fresh is best? Fresh is best. And your amount of lime is subjective, honestly. Um, some people do 0.75. Some people do one ounce. I think the one thing with limes that makes it super hard is that you're going to get different limes in the summer than you are in the winter. Mm-hmm. Right? So half of a lime in the wintertime, you might only be able to yield a quarter of an ounce on that press. So it may need to be a whole lime. Mm. I think if you do it by the actual measurement and not the amount of lime, I think you'd have a better, you, you'll have a better understanding of consistency on the cocktail and how you like it. Um, mm. I know people that like a lot of lime flavor and characteristic there because they're using that as the crutch for the cocktail. Um, I know some people that make it with just a little bit of lime and they really want the gin to shine. As long as it's there and you have that, that acid, you're golden. And again, fresh, always best. Fantastic. And yeah, Great point there. You know, we've moved on from from that era. We have jiggers now. We have reliable methods of measuring ingredients. So let's let's keep our consistency there with that. Um, where where do you lie on the kind of? And we'll get your spec in a little bit. But where do you lie on the kind of profile of this drink? Are you looking to see maybe a little bit more brightness from that lime and have it kind of leading the charge, or do you want it kind of being the supporting ingredient to the gin? I want it to be personally. I want the lime to be the supporting uh, actor in that in that production for sure. Um, I think with any cocktail, the way you start the cocktail and figuring out your base is what's going to make it a superior cocktail. And do you therefore have any 
you know, preference, feel free to. You don't need to call them out, but do you have a preferred gin specific? If someone's like, you're making the best gin ricky in your life right now, which gin are you reaching for? That's super difficult. Mm-hmm. But my rule of thumb is that if I could drink it straight, I drink it in a cocktail. So my classic London dry styles, Tanqueray 10 for sure. Nice. For sure, for sure. I could drink Tanqueray 10 in anything. Mm-hmm. I just, I really enjoy that spirit very much. Um, I think with that said, you could go with a little bit more of an American style um, with something like the Jay Rieger um, created by the same person. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that one's a fantastic gin. If you wanted to go more American, honestly, the the Centauri gin, Ooh. the Raku is, is yeah. so good. It's just so nice, you know, and it plays with citrus really well. It's very minimalistic when it comes to like a, a gin in terms of herbaceousness and botanicals. Mm-hmm. But I think that's why it works so well. And the palate is super velvety smooth. So you can have the acid hit just really be that cut there for you, which I love. Yeah, that's, and, a, that's a great choice. Yeah. I think that also, I'm, I want to say that one also comes in at like 40% ABV, which I'm never generally looking for from my gin. But if I'm having it in a refreshing highball, then I'm not so concerned with the with the alcohol content. Yes, that part. I generally don't do higher proof gins. It's mm-hmm. not my personal preference, um, but you can definitely do it in this cocktail. Again, um, you're allowing for the other flavors um, and the, the carbonation to really sort of play off and create a little bit more cut for you um, on a higher distillate. So, you know, when all else fails and there's nothing else that I see on the shelf, if they've got if they've got my Bombay Sapphire, Mm-hmm. then all is well with the world. <laughs> and I know I can drink something in that bar. And I think those are that's definitely in that order how I would choose it. Mm-hmm. Well, I love that. I love that kind of just the more general statement there, though, if you're, you know, if you're willing, if you're able to drink it neat, then it's going to work for the cocktail. I think that's a great one. I think that's a great piece of advice. Um, what about sparkling water? How much are you thinking about that when it comes to this cocktail or highballs in general? It is the second most important thing in my mind, 100%. The gin on this cocktail is the first, the carbonation is like Mm. the big thing, right? Um, If you are using carbonation from a gun, don't. (laughs) Rule of thumb, (laughs) so blunt with that. But just it's, it's, that's not gonna be um, a great sparkling cocktail at all. I like to use uh, Q. I think Fever Tree has a pretty decent club soda as well. Um, I'm fortunate enough on our bar, we actually produce our own sparkling water um, that we're um, able to give to our guests um, free of charge. Oh, nice. And it is, you know, we've said it, like the, the actual carbonation that comes off of that is perfect for cocktails. Really nice, tight bubbles. They're super, super strong. Um, Not big, sort of like fluffy ones that as soon as it hits um, and gets some air, those bubbles are like no longer there. And that's why I say the gun method is not always the best. Mm -hmm. Um, Anything that is like pre-pressurized, I like Q because you can put the cap back on it and twist it back on and it actually lasts for a day um, just for a, you know, utilitarian purposes. Uh, being able to not have to waste a bottle club soda at the end of the night is awesome. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I always try to look for those, anything with a, with a twist top. But, yeah, just make sure your bubbles are, are nice and tight um, and you can really sort of see, like, 
that fizz on top of your cocktail. That's what you want to see. It should never just hit the hit the hit the glass or hit the spirit and then just fizzle out. I love it. And I think a lot of that has to do with um, the construction and the build as well. And we can get into that if you want to get into that. But yeah, nice tight bubbles, Q fever tree, or if you have your own system, those are always the best way to go because you can control your um, your carbonation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's that's one of the things I love having the. Um soda stream at home because I get through a ton of sparkling water but also allows you to like you know get your water chilled down really low first Mm -hmm. go in and then just go with just a crazy amount of carbonation and have that thing attacking your tongue it's it's wonderful (laughs) Uh, but yeah let's do it let's get into the preparation why don't you talk us through your uh, your build of a of a gin ricky here today and yeah maybe geek out on some of the points that's going to really enhance that carbonation or just uh, make allow this cocktail to be the best version of its no, for sure, for sure. Um, so first of all, make sure your glass is chilled. Um, Ricky's are not traditionally shaken. And there's some people like add flavors and things like that. That's a whole that's, you know, you're taking the the Ricky on a on a on an adventure. So standard Ricky is not shaken. You want to make sure that your glass is cold. Next, I'm grabbing two ounces of the preferred gin of choice. Always two ounces on this for me. I'm a hard advocate of like highballs, two ounces, and then five ounces of carbonation. Um, In this scenario, obviously we're adding either, my standard spec is half an ounce of lime. If I think that the gin itself needs a little bit more oomph, then I may add seven, five or per guest request, but half an ounce of lime juice is sort of where I live at. And then I top that with my five ounces of club soda. Um, if you can, um, and this is a trick that anybody can do, use your bar spoon and make sure that you're pouring that carbonation, your your club soda, down um, your swizzle bar spoon so that you can keep the bubbles nice and tight, right? Mm-hmm. If you just pour it right in, obviously there's air, the bubbles are going to dissipate into the air, obviously service area. If they have something to stick to, the bubbles will stay nice and tight for longer. Hmm. So if you can pour right down your uh, your bar spoon, it really doesn't take, but um, you know, just doing it the first time. It's not a it's not a super crazy bar trick. It's not any flair. Um, it does look good, um, but it is something that you can practice at home if you have that bar spoon, and you'll have a a, a much superior cocktail. Um, the last part is making sure that you're adding your ice last. Um, the one thing with highballs that I find to be frustrating, uh, to say the least, is that a lot of places, um, they are neither served high in an actual highball. They're mm-hmm. sometimes served in a short glass, <laughs> uh, which don't allow for the proper amount um, of carbonation um, nor spirit. It ends up being 50-50. It becomes a weird situation. Um, but also, uh, when you're adding your ice there, people are starting with ice, and so all your ingredients are cut up. You want to get all your ingredients in there first. Yeah. Add your ice at the end. So that everything is an amalgamated cocktail. Again, this is not a shaken cocktail. So you need to make sure that everything is going in and everything is touching each other and everything is mixing um, on their own. And feel, I mean, you can as soon as you put your gin and your lime juice in there, feel free to give that a little bit of stir. Uh, don't stir your uh, bubbles, please. Don't do that because that will make them dissipate. Um, but definitely, just get a little bit of a mix in there um, and finish off with your ice. Fantastic. Um, 
We've had guests on the show before as well talk about the fact that, you know, if you also want to lessen the dissipation of the bubbles or the kind of uh, maintain more carbonation, that you really want to be going for those large spears that we've seen if you're able to order from um, professional ice companies or if you're willing to put the time yourself to get into to prepare those for your highball drinks. I'm curious, in your experience if you are measuring out that kind of two and a half ounces, uh, well, your two ounces of gin, half an ounce of lime, and then five ounces of your carbonated water, whether it's mineral soda, mm. when you then go to add one of those standard made spears, mm-hmm. is everything working out? Is that getting you to a nice wash line? There's no danger of overflowing there. Are, are, are the folks that make those things, are they already thinking about this for the, the standard highball glasses? Yes. So, um, <laughs> lots of debate there in that realm. Um, when people order, let's say, let's use Serenata, for instance, my bar. When people order a highball, um, we're doing that on regular Hoshizaki ice, uh, one by one sort of situations, um, mm-hmm. unless they prefer to do the highball ice cube. Okay. We do charge a dollar for it. It costs me money. It has to cost you a little bit of money. Sure. But, um, if your ice professional is a professional, uh, what they'll do when you sign up for an account with them, um, which my woman does, and she's fantastic, um, is that she asks for the specs of your cocktail glass, and then she'll look up your glass to make sure that she has the right dimensions, and then cut your ice to your glass. So our highballs are the Riedel cocktail glass. She has those specs already in mind. And so she can pre-cut my, she pre-cuts my ice to fit that glass every single time. Amazing. So there is 100%, there's no waste, there's no spillage, there's no stuff hanging off the sides. When you're doing the the the, the small ice, the Hoshizaki uh, style ice cube, there's nothing wrong with it, but you have to be very judicious because that one cube might then, yeah. your whole entire drink is now, you know, your wash line's right at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to be a little bit, a little bit careful. But if you're using the highball ice, um, your ice your ice makers should be measuring your ice, um, which makes it a lot easier on everyone. And for our specialty cocktails um, that I do in a highball style, I always use um, the highball ice for that uh, mm-hmm. because that's what it's made for. I love it. and I, I That's so fascinating. I'm glad that you brought that up there because I think, you know, we have folks who listen to this show who are in the industry who might be very familiar with those, you know, that those intricacies when it comes to custom ice. But I think there's also a lot of people that listen to this show who are cocktail enthusiasts who might just think that somehow, <laughs> you know, it's all a very happy accident that you get that perfect wash line and perfect balance on the drinks with also having that fancy ice in your garnish or whatever. Uh, it's it's really fascinating to kind of pull back the curtain on that one. Oh, 100%. And I mean, let's just for the people everywhere. <laughs> um, there is a difference between a Collins glass and a highball, right? Um, and you want to make sure that highball is at least 10 and a half ounces. Got it. And and what would your standard Collins glass be then? Collins for me, like the ones that I order are definitely around eight and a half. Mm, got it. Um, they're a little bit smaller, a little bit thinner, definitely daintier. Um, they can still work for highballs, but then your specs are off in order to get the proper dilution for a true highball. Mm-hmm. Fascinating stuff. And then Last but not least, what's your preferred garnish for this drink? Oh, fresh lime. Fresh lime wedges. Yep. Fresh lime. So that you can add your lime as you please. Obviously, if you're doing variations, 
make sure that your garnish matches your flavors that are inside of your cocktail. But if we're just doing a standard Ricky, um, a lime wheel is generally what I see, and it looks really, really good. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the slice in the middle and sticking on the end of the glass. I like sort of like popping it in there. Um, but especially with the highball ice cube, just using an actual lime wedge um, and cutting out the pith there um, is super perfect because at that mm-hmm. point, if it is like somebody wants a little bit more lime juice, easy, easy and fun to do. Also, that little bit of that bitterness that you get from the actual um, outside of the lime, being able to sort of have that in the drink and have that that bitter aesthetic on there really helps as well. It's 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 a yeah. That, that I would say is my classic garnish. Amazing. I'm glad you say that, AJ. I'm glad you say the classic garnish there because um, I did want to get your thoughts as well on some some maybe easy kind of riffs that we can do that maintain the the identity of this drink, that we don't stray too far mm-hmm. from a gin ricky, but some things you can do that you can maybe take it in a different direction. I don't want to say upgrade. I just want to say, you know, everyone has their preferences, but maybe take in a different direction. And can you start by maybe, yeah, let's talk about garnish. What are some easy ways for folks at home that maybe don't want to make any preparations, but they want to enhance this drink or take it somewhere else? What are some other garnishes that you would include that work with these ingredients? So I would play off of the botanicals that are in the actual cocktail, right? Um, Not that garnish doesn't take prep. So I think that's that's a little counterintuitive only because you have to do something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you have a bunch of limes hanging around your house and they're going to go bad because there's only so many margaritas you can make and only so many Rickies <laughs> that you can make, um, you know, being able to sort of slice those up, pop those in the oven at 250 degrees, put, throw on a football game and then take those <laughs> out um, after the games are over. Um, and you have dehydrated limes that you can use literally forever as long as you keep them dry. Mm-hmm. Um, it just has a, 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 it gives it a much more sophisticated look. Um, you can do that sort of with any fruit. Um, you can do sort of like that classic gin and tonic thing that everybody's doing, right? You got your <laughs> orange slice and your lime slice and your lemon slice, and you can really just sort of stick those in um, if you want to have fun there. I've definitely seen uh, and done some that have actual uh, like lime peel uh, ribbons, which I think is super, super fun um, because you're just adding that little extra zhuzh to that. Um, so you have, if you have a peeler, you can just come around the lime and you just tie it in a knot and you just let the ends of your limes curl in where they are, where they should, mm-hmm. and then throw them into a little tight ball and throw it right on top. Nice. Super fun. Really, really, really easy. Um, and it looks good. It looks festive. Like it's something you can literally do for a cocktail party um, at home and it doesn't, it doesn't take any time and it takes 35 seconds to do. Um, so I think those type of things are, are super, super fun. But again, you know, you want that garnish to reflect what's happening inside of the drink. Mm-hmm. And then if I were going to ask for maybe a, a slightly more mixological version of this, maybe slightly higher brow bartender version of this drink, is there anything you would do, any preparation you might make? Or would you say, you know what, I don't think the Ricky is something that that needs that or deserves that? Oh, no, I I I love making things way more complicated than they need to be. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, no, but um, so I've been lucky enough to be a part of the DC Craft Bartenders Guild here. Um, and they've hosted a, a Ricky competition every year. And every year 
you just see some really, really, really fun stuff out there. Um, and I like to say like DC, like for, as a bartending community, we really sort of like push the limits in terms of what's out there. I mean, I got to be a judge, uh, one year. Um, I remember one young man, he literally created his own pasteurization process for his lime juice. Wow. Um, so that it would be stable and tasted the same all year long. Uh, which was insanely cool. I've had some, uh, another bartender, they uh, lacto-fermented the lime. Wow. Um, which just like, it, it just throws you in so many different ways. Um, you can definitely have some fun with slow gin, Ooh. Um, which I have seen. Um, and there is a, I want to say that there is a, it might be a Philadelphia brand. They make a gin that's made with Marion berries. And so one gentleman one year did a cocktail in reference to, um, you know, DC's Mayor for Life, Marion Berry, with these, with this Marion Berry gin. Um, <laughs> again, all of these things still work. You're just really sort of having fun with those, with those flavors. Um, and then I think probably one of my favorites is I did more of like a Mediterranean style for, for a concept, uh, one year. Um, and so, uh, we use, uh, amaranth limes, like a little bit smaller, a little bit tighter. Um, definitely brighter in that. I was able to create a little bit of a simple syrup. Now you're not supposed to put simple syrup in there, but again, if you're gonna add a little bit of flavor um, to your lime and being able to to sort of add other botanicals in there, being able to use like turmeric and things like that was really, you know, it's you're able to sort of see how those sort of flavors fit that particular concept. Um, and so infusing your gins, um, doing really fun, cool stuff with your lime juice, all that kind of stuff is super fun. And also the best part about a Ricky is that you can kind of choose your carbonation. Um, as long as you're not doing um, an alcoholic carbonation, it still classifies as a Ricky. So, mm -hmm. you know, citrus sodas, you know, obviously tonic water can work. Um, if you want to go there, you definitely can. Um, but you can play around and like make some fun flavored sodas to really amp up your Ricky. I love it. I love it. So many, so many different avenues there to go down. So many different options. Um, I think I'm. I think I'm going to make the Ricky my drink of uh, 2024. I'm calling there it. Now. That's what I'm going to be. <laughs> that's what I'm going to be exploring there. Um, AJ, any final thoughts on the gin Ricky or Rickies before we head into our five weekly questions to wrap up the show? Hmm. Wrapping up on gin Ricky. One, come to DC and have us make you. A gin ricky because i promise you we make them better than anywhere else <laughs> that's for sure um but also you know like if you're not a gin drinker this is this is the calling card to like go out and explore some some gin rickies um that that may not you know maybe are not your traditional gin rickies but something that can definitely get you in the mood to understanding why gin works so perfectly in this way it's a combination that's been used over and over and over again for a reason mm -hmm. um and not just out of necessity either um it really is a combination that you see all over the world base spirit lime soda um and so doing the gin ricky doing it with bourbon however you you'd prefer it the way that this cocktail is structured really does create a perfect balance. Um, and, and it does cut that flavor of gin in a way where even a non-drinker, gin drinker would enjoy. Fantastic. I love it. All right, then let's do it. Let's wrap up the show today with our five weekly questions, beginning with number one. AJ, what style or category of spirit 
typically enjoys the most real estate on your back bar? Oh, I think when we first started, it was supposed to be mezcal and tequila. Mm -hmm. As I did more deep dives, deep dives into cultural Latin spirits, the one thing that always comes up always is sugarcane. So right now, mm -hmm. sugarcane-based and molasses-based spirits have the most real estate on my back bar. Fantastic. And so, so many wonderful options to, in, to enjoy oh, yeah. there. And you can even <laughs> uh, explore some amazing ones from... From Mexico too. And I think Oaxaca oh, yes. is a, a real hotbed for fantastic uh, juice-based rums these days. 100%. All right, question number two. Which ingredient or tool do you believe to be the most undervalued in a bartender's arsenal? Ice. Mm. Ice is always my answer. Ice is the most underutilized and underappreciated ingredient in the entire world of cocktailing. Mm -hmm. It provides dilution, it provides flavor, it, prov it provides volume. Um, it cuts the strength of the spirit. It cuts the smell of the spirit. Um, things that are not properly diluted um, don't taste great. Things that are overly diluted don't taste great. Um, I, don't, I, I really do think that there is a lack of understanding behind the science of ice and why, why we use it the way we use it, why we buy ice as, you know, people who run programs and operate businesses, why it's important to us to buy ice and what it does to your actual cocktail experience. I think that's totally underrated. Um, and I think that when it comes to, you know, especially like when you're first starting out in the bar, in the bar game, whether you're shaking or stirring or this or that, you know, a lot of times working in especially faster environments, how you get the juice in the cocktail doesn't matter. Um, and as you learn and you grow, you learn that I've got to get it into the glass as fast as possible, but as correct as possible with the right amount of dilution as possible. Um, and that's when you know you've sort of like made it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think also just what we were speaking about earlier with this, you know, the custom made cubes, I think that's... Um goes a long way to explaining just how much thought goes into this and how important it is. We'll move on to question three here. AJ, what's the most important piece of advice you've received while working in this industry? It would have to be know your worth. Everything has a price. I have a price. I have a skill. I have a talent. Do not be afraid to not only ask, but demand what you're worth every day. That is the most, that is the single most important thing that anyone's ever told me. I think, yeah, incredibly wise words there. And again, also kind of highlighted by what you're talking about with the the different ice selections for this drink or highballs, right? I love that philosophy that you use there where you're like, maybe not everyone wants to spend that extra dollar or whatever on the, on the fancy cube. We think it's worth it for the drinks on the menu, but we're not going to assume that you want to pay for that. Uh, but we'll give you the option to do either. And you're spending extra money on that, so you got to charge the extra money. It doesn't doesn't just come out of of nowhere. But um, you know, I think that's a nice metaphor for what you're saying there. Fair enough. Um, penultimate question here today: If you could only visit one last bar in your life, what would it be? Double Chicken, please. Mm. Without a doubt. Mm -hmm. I, I it is something about uh, what Gian and them do with the cocktails. I mean, I literally the first time I went, I was absolutely fascinated with how I was drinking something that I, I've eaten before. <laughs> and I, but it wasn't like, all right, I'm eating a slice of pizza. All right, I'm, I'm eating a, 
a cold chicken noodle salad from California Pizza Kitchen. No, that is exactly what they made, but they made it taste like that and it tastes like a cocktail. I, 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 I swear, and I embarrassed the hell out of my friends, but I like I got up from our little table and I palmed GN $100. And I was like, this is the best cocktail I've ever had in my life. In my life. Wow. In my life. And I'm like, oh my God, you, you look like a bridge and tunneler. And I was like, I don't care. This is, I've never, <laughs> I don't, first of all, I don't go out and drink cocktails. Mm-hmm. It's not my thing. Um, I, and not that I don't appreciate them. I don't appreciate the work that's gone into them. Um, but it's not, I'd rather sit and sip a drink neat mm-hmm. um, than to order a cocktail. Cause I know what I'm getting in that, in that sip. Um, but I, I've never had an experience where I've been turned on my ear, like, completely. Like, I didn't, I couldn't, my brain wasn't braining. And um, I thought it was spectacular. I think, I think what they do is spectacular. Wow, yeah, incredible. And I think, I think we're seeing the influence of that already, too. I think we're seeing, you know, culinary techniques and things or ingredients have always, I think, made their way into drinks. But this kind of direct reflection or inspiration of a dish now as a drink i think we're starting to see that a lot more so um i mean that is that is the highest form of compliment but loved it what you did there as well with uh i, I mean it sounds like it was a very profound experience it was yeah it, that was that was life-changing like i i wanted to do better because i was tasting something that i felt was not just better than what i was doing but like far superior than what a lot of people were doing I just, I, I, I don't know. I had a lot of appreciation for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you sharing that here today. Uh, we're going to ask you the final question now. If you knew that the next cocktail you drank was going to be your last, what would you order or make? Oh, that's not a spirit neat. It would probably be, I would do the craziest rum old fashion ever in the history of the world. Um, and I've kind of already done a variation of this, mm-hmm. uh, but <laughs> I would do like the Punta Cana XOX 50 year anniversary with a little bit of like Dem sugar and Ango bitters and orange bitters and stir that until like the perfect like point of dilution and serve that over a big cube, big swath of an orange peel just zested right on top. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. It sounds like a phenomenal rum old-fashioned. Yes. <laughs> well, AJ, thank you so much for joining us today. I've had a blast. I've learned so much. It's been a wonderful chat. Um, I can't wait for my next DC visit and to to enjoy a gin ricky in the uh, place of its origin. Oh, that would be amazing. We'd love to have you. Looking forward to it. And uh, enjoy the rest of your repeal day. Repeal day. <laughs> uh, I will. I will. <laughs> I think everyone, although this is going to be going out after we've recorded, I'm hoping that all of our listeners enjoyed a stirred mixed drink or a stiff something uh, if, if they are so inclined today to just, uh, yeah, raise a glass to repeal. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Cocktail College podcast. If you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, Go ahead and hit subscribe and please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher. And please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded in New York City and produced by myself and Darby Seasai, who also composed our awesome theme music. Just give that a listen. 
I also want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the VinePair team, especially co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon, editor-in-chief Joanna Sherino, and art director Daniel Greenberg, who designed our killer logo. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time. <laughs>